Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of iCast Fireball, an actual play 5e D&D adventure where we go through the campaign Tyranny of Dragons. My name's Thomas, and I'm the DM for this adventure, and around the table we have... Malamara, Lance Thalen, and Fleeple. Last we left our adventurers, they had recently defeated Renicor the Great, the big beholder that they found in the village of Wisteria Vale, by turning him into a sloth. And despite Renicor's best efforts to attack Fleeple with his sloth claws, they were now out of danger and only had to stab Vargan in the heart with their special dagger that they got from Leosin. Thankfully, they didn't have to convince Vargan at all, though, because both Brick and Mortar had pinned him to the ground and choked him out, allowing Fleeple to stab him in the heart without issue whatsoever. And as the world started disappearing around them, Terry Ann beautifully bid the heroes goodbye before probing Fleeple privately about how he turned against his nature, being Tiathar. With a heartfelt admission of his past and a promise that Terrianne will be watching him, Fleeple joined the others in Candlekeep as Vargan and Rilia were reunited. Emotions were high, but not only due to this reunion, because Brick and Mortar started to fade away from the room as they were clutching each other tightly, stating that whatever happened, they would always be together. And that is where we jump in on today's adventure. So, Fleeple, Lance, Malamara, you all are standing around outside of the room that you had popped out of with Leosin, Renacor, the Sloth, and Vargan and Rilia as you see brick and mortar fade away from your sight. The bag of 5,000 gold on the ground, Leosin quickly runs over and picks it up and puts it in the bag and hands it to one of you. Lance, you being the closest, he gives it to you as you grab it from him. And Rilia, she turns to all of you and goes, with a sorrowful face, a sorrowful look, I'm terribly sorry about your comrades. I I have to say, I, I'm not sure what happened to them. I I expected them to stay. It was, it was quite odd. And Vargan turns to you and goes, Yes, were they, were they even real? And Fleeple, who has already been kind of existential about was co-op even real he's not sure that he's the best one to answer in this situation um i'm not quite sure what they were uh we found them in the book and they said that they were sucked into the book a long time ago and then they disappeared so i'm just gonna chalk it up to to forgetting about it (laughs) is vargan fading at all or looking like he's fading at all no, Vargan is actually quite uh, stationary. I mean, his body is um, pretty physical, and uh, he's not fading away, and uh, really is clutching him tightly as uh, she has both of her arms wrapped around his waist as her head is sort of nestled into his chest. So he seems to be there, so why brick and mortar would disappear is quite odd. Really, it turns to you, though, and she says, Well... Perhaps I can have those that originally created the book uh, look through their notes and try to figure out where they went or if they were manifestations of the book itself. I mean, we didn't quite expect Vargan to stay in there for as long as he did. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just kind of a one-shot situation. You know, probably never going to see them again. You know, just like a one-and-done thing. But Oh, yeah. I believe that's kind of harsh, but... Well, I'm not saying that I want that. I'm just saying it just felt like it really wrapped itself up nicely. Oh, well, I'll do some research on my own then, but uh, the three of you at the least, you have your reward, as she gestures toward Lance with a bag of 5,000 gold pieces. Uh, thank you for bringing Varg into us alive. I <laughs> would have regretfully <laughs> not been able to give that to you if he came back dead after all. <laughs> Okay. Yes, yes, of course. Well, if ah. b- before you depart, uh, Mr. Mr. Vargin, if I can ask you just one thing really quick. Uh, absolutely. I I owe all three of you my life. W- what is it, Flipo? That Terrian character, did you ever know him to suddenly change demeanor very abruptly? 
as soon as you bring up Tyrion, he starts to roll his eyes and he goes, Oh, it's the one good thing Renacor brought to Wisteria Vale. Renacor was so fed up with Tyrion, he banished him from the premises. And I was never able to leave the premises, the manor. And so, thankfully, and I guess you could say it's a double-edged sword, because, uh, you know, Renacor did imprison me, trap me, and, you know, tried to kill me multiple times. But Tyrion was unable to come into the manor after he had appeared in Wisteria Vale, so... Oh, it was a blessed day when I finally got rest from his antics, if you will. Um, But you said he changed personality? Yes, you never saw him turn into, like, a wise sage type. And he gives you a very puzzled face as he, like, draws his head backwards and goes... Are you speaking of Tyrion? You know, I'm not entirely sure that Tyrion ever existed anyway. And I pick up the sloth and hold it out to him and I say, Here's a gift for you to research. Oh, um, oh my. Yes, I forgot. I'd forgotten about this. We we need to address this immediately. If within the next, like, 57 minutes. Yeah, you, yeah. Got, yeah, you got about 40, yes, 50 yes, minutes. Yes, we don't have yeah. long at all. Yes, I, I suppose you can probably gather together a group of mages and just, you know, cast, I don't know, maze or maybe power word kill. If any of you got that on you, just take this sucker out. I just love how Fleeple's like, gives them a beholder and just goes, you got this, bro. <laughs> Yes, this is a powerful repository of arcane knowledge. I'm sure you can figure out how to handle a beholder. <laughs> I'm done dealing with this issue, so... Yeah, Fleeple's got bigger canaries to fry. <laughs> Vargan, he calls over a sage and goes, You! Over there! Snaps his fingers, and the sage runs over and goes, We need to deal with this threat immediately. Please, this is actually a beholder. And the sage immediately, like, thrust the sloth away from his face that he had been examining it. And just, like, it, with the outstretcher, you know, like, when you're carrying something you don't want to be carrying, it's just, like, as far away from your body as possible. And he goes, please, take it to the Keeper of Tomes and any other of the higher-ups so they can deal with this. We had an intense battle with this beholder, and I'm sure we could use it for academic purposes, and I know that there are definitely some uh, wizards here in the tower that would pay good money for some of this. He turns to you, Fleeple, and goes, Fleeple, I will make sure that you are seen to to gain any profits that were brought by this beholder in particular, so. Oh, sweet! I give subtle finger guns to Fleeple. And so this sage tries to be careful, but also speedily just speed walks away as fast as he can into the tower. Renacor, out of sight, out of mind, so to speak. Hey. And with that, Vargan and Rilia, they say, they ask to be excused if there's no other questions to be brought up. And Leosin sort of bows to Rilia, and they both walk off, leaving you three with Leosin and a gigantic bag of gold. As the three of you, you see Vargan and Rilia walk off. Um, you turn to Leosin, and Leosin's talking with another sage that had just been speaking with before rushing to this room. And so you, the three of you find yourselves by yourself and taking a look, taking stock. And although you felt an increase in power as soon as you went to Wisteria Vale, as you come back, you feel that little lingering of power feel like you kept one of your levels with you. And all three of you level up. What? What? We level up from level 10 to 6? Woo! (laughs) It's such a a crazy level change how they make you swing back. Well, now I get that ritual of mistletoe permanently. Do you? Yeah. Yes! Mm -hmm. That's why we leveled up. He didn't want to take that from you. That was a very nice move, DM. That was very nice of you. Yeah, I can't do the sacrificial offering anymore, goodness gracious, but I do get the Ritual of Mistletoe, uh, one sprig per level that I'm at. Wow. I get expertise. I have more proficiencies. Now now the eternal question, do I roll for hit points or just take the flat generic number? That's true. So, Fleeple, you're taking a druid, right? Six level and druid, right? Oh, yeah. 
And Lance, you're taking six level in Rogue. Yep. And Mal. I get my third of Barbarian. Oh. That's my primal path. There you go. Ooh, nice. Three levels Warlock, three levels Barbarian. That's right. But Mal, as you take stock, you hear a voice inside your head. The same one you heard inside of Wisteria Vale. I'm going to let you have this one, my dear. I see you need a path that you need to take. You got to figure out this on your own, but I think we should have a talk sometime soon. And that's the last thing you hear in your in your mind. So, who is going to roll for their hit points? You going to do it? Are you going to do it? I'm going to roll to decide whether I'm going to roll for my hit points. Yes. Good for you. How very D&D of you. Odds, I take the flat number, evens, I roll. It's a 12. I'm rolling. Roll! Roll, 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 roll. And that's a D8, I believe, right? Yep, I rolled a four. Oh, bummer. One under. I'm going to roll. Okay, Lance. Right, here we go. The final countdown. Oh, it's a two. Oh. Oh, shucks. And Mal. Not that I'm influenced by that, but uh, I'm definitely taking the half. No, come on. Which is a plus <laughs> Everybody's 11. doing it. Yeah, but while you guys have your four and your two, my, my half is an 11. Oh, boy. Wait, your half is 11? Well, she has a seven. I have a seven plus four constitution. Oh, plus your con- Okay, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, me with my plus zero constitution. <laughs> I know, people. I'm so sorry. Maybe they have, like, an amulet of health somewhere around Candlekeep that I can buy from somebody. Maybe. Yeah. My, there you go. So currently I'm at 34 max hit points. I'm, uh, Malamara's max hit points are at 63. You are almost double my hit points. <laughs> What's yours? Oh my Please gosh. Pull? 34. 34 at level 6? That's how it be when you're a druid. I got 47. Wow. Well, and Malamar, why don't you go ahead and let everybody else know, the audience know, what sort of path are you taking now that you've reached your third level barbarian? On my primal path, I'm going to choose the path of the totem warrior. And I'm going to take the eagle feats. Eagle? At level three, my eagle feet, while I'm raging and I'm not wearing heavy armor, other creatures have disadvantage on opportunity attacks against me and I can use my dash action as a bonus action on my turn. The spirit of the eagle makes you into a predator who can weave through the fray with ease. Nice. I, I definitely would say Malamara is very predator-like, so yeah, excellent. All right, well, let's continue forward with our story here. Now that we've assessed ourselves, we've gotten our level, you're, you're, you're with Leosin, and he goes, well, um, I have to say that turned out very well, very well indeed. And I could tell really I was very well taken with you, which was the whole point of why I wanted you to go before instead of me go. Plus, I don't think I would have survived. So there's that as well. So it all worked out for the best for everybody, I feel like. And you got the reward. This is perfect. It's going to work directly with our plans together. As he's very animated, animatedly, animatedly, animaniacly <laughs> waving his arms around, like gesturing between you and him and clasping his hands. And just he is just filled with joy for all of your success. And he goes, now... I apologize for rushing you in. It's like there was uh, something urging me forward to get you in the book as quickly as possible. But now that we have some time, I feel like we can catch up. I know I've uh, I've taken care of the eggs. They're fine. They're, they've been tended to and, and uh, they haven't hatched. And we're keeping them in sort of this uh, status where they won't hatch. They're, they're very nearly there, actually. But we can use this as well to help further our ideas, our evidence and our calls so how about we find a place to sit down and chat would that be all right that would be grand i think sure 
Excellent, excellent. How about, uh, we, how about we go to the local tavern? Would that be all right? Ah, uh, yes. Do, do they serve flouters by any chance there? Oh, I'm sure we could find some. Do they like have a, a, a breakfast item that's almost like dessert? Mm, I th- that's that's kind of a tall order, I would say. But uh, well, who knows? I mean, vodka, vodka, vodka. I, 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 yeah, I, th- I think we can just all go with the common, <laughs> the common drinking phrase: vodka, vodka, vodka. Oh, vodka! Free, uh, she he points to Mel. Vodka for Flippo. Vodka for. Uh, excellent, excellent. All right, I'm just looking up the local name for the tavern here. Ah, uh, yes. Very descriptive name. The Hearth. The Hearth or the Hearth? Hearth. That's how you say it? Hearth? It's like Hearth. Like the fireplace? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The Hearth. There you go. So, Leosin actually walks you out of the library, and there's, if you recall, that large emerald door that you had to walk through, and Leosin had to grant passage for you to enter as well. Before you leave, Leosin stops in his tracks and goes, Oh, um, before we go to the tavern, and he sort of leans into all of you, I wonder if you wanted to know the status of your attacker? Oh, goodness, I'd forgotten all about oh, that yes, guy. of course, we've, yes, We've just been right. dealing with so with many so. crazy, weird things that I forgot about There's been a one lot. of the crazy, we weird things. a lot. You have. I, I believe you have quite... I mean, you were in there for five days, so, I mean, it's oh, quite snap. a while five since days? you... Yes, uh, it was quite a while. Was it not five days for you? No. Was it five days for us? <laughs> no, it was like five hours. Not even that, like, you know, it was a couple of hours. Oh, my. It was a good thing you didn't rest in there. You would have been there for a month, and then our plans would have been halted drastically. Well, it's a good thing we got out of there sooner than later, I mm-hmm. suppose. Yes, I agree. Well, I'm glad it all worked out then. As uh, Leosin just are, like... His eyes are like, well, that could have been really bad. And so he actually pivots away from the door down another hallway and goes, uh, they've been holding him here. And we do know it is a he, actually. Um, there's quite a bit of information that we do know about this individual, but not from the individual themselves. They've been uncooperative. And, well, I'll, I'll show you. It, there's no danger in showing you. And so we finally get to just... A, a guarded door, one of the more heavily guarded doors, if you will. And as you open the door, you see two sages that, although they're reading their books, they seem to be at attention. And they, when the door opens and the four of you walk in, they start to stand, but Leosin raises his hand and asks them to sit. And so they immediately start to sit. And these two sages appear to be guarding this individual that had attacked you. This individual currently, however, is floating in the air in the middle of the room. And if you think, if you've seen The Legend of Korra, in the last book, uh, there's an individual who's floating in the air with chains, pinning him to the ground. That's exactly what's happening here. There are chains tied to their arms, their neck, and their legs, and all those chains are staked into the stonework on the floor itself. This individual is floating cross-legged in a trance-like state, and they don't seem to be bobbing up and down at all. They just are stationary and with their eyes closed. And they're not making any sound. They're not voicing anything, but they are... In Lance, it almost looks like they're meditating like you do every single night. Almost like they're sleeping. Well, I was just wondering, do we know what it is? Because I was never yes. able to pin the race or species it is. Yes, it's quite... Um, this race is not common to uh, our material plane, actually. Thankfully, you brought them here to a library full of knowledge from multiple planes of existence. So we're able to track down that this is uh, a member of the race, the Gith race. Not a common race you would see here on the material plane. They actually live out of the astral plane. That's where their civilization lies. That's where they live. And they, we do know them to come here, though, to reproduce, as the astral plane has no concept of time. So they never age in the astral plane. And as such, they can never have children or um, further their race. 
this individual and, um, well, really, Gith in general are quite combative, which I'm sure all of you probably encountered as you brought him here as your prisoner. I'm confused why they would attack the three of you. They usually only reach out unless, um, well, they usually only attack when provoked, when challenged. And so I'm curious, how did you come across this individual in particular? Is there anyone here in Candlekeep that speaks this his language? Oh yes, both of these both of these gods can, but this individual refuses to speak, and in fact, doesn't even seem that he's, he's even present with us. I lean over to Mal and I say, "Do you think perhaps he would speak to you, seeing as you're the one that they seemed most interested in killing?" I guess. I'm happy to try. I've never been to, what What did you call an astral plane? Uh, yes, the astral plane. I mean, I might know somebody. I mean, um, yeah, I'm happy to, sure, let's, let's try and talk to him. Mal will look at one of the guards that's standing there. Would one of you be willing to translate for me? If you can wake him up, I'd be happy to translate for you, but I don't think he's going to wake up. He's been like this for days. Well, now we'll clap our hands together and rub him. I guess there's no harm in trying. And so she'll approach this being. Thomas, is there anywhere to hide in this room? There is not, unfortunately. Um, it being sort of a holding cell, uh, they wanted to make sure that the room was mostly bare. Lance is going to back up to the wall and pull out his bow and arrow and aim it at the gith. Just because I don't know this thing and I don't know its capabilities, so I'm just being cautious. The other sage, as you pull your bow and arrow out and goes, please, please, uh, hold off on drawing your bow. J just for the time being. You may have it out and ready, but... I'll put it down, but it'll... The arrow will still be notched, and I'll just have it facing the ground. That is fine. Thank you. All right. I close my eyes and take a deep breath, praying that my otherworldly friend has nothing to do with whatever's going on. And I will approach the prisoner and stand basically right in front of him. Unsure of what else to do, I... <clears throat> Why did you attack us? And uncertainly looks over at the guard that's supposed to be translating. Yes, and the other guard in that very strange language where it sounds like um, his reverb is turned on, if you will, where it just starts repeating itself as the moment he speaks. Go ahead and roll a... This might seem odd, but go ahead and roll an Arcana check. Sure. My negative one. Oh, a 17. As you repeat this just a few times, you feel every time you repeat it and as you focus in on this individual, their face and their closed eyes, you feel like you're connecting with them somehow. You don't know how but you feel like you are. And as you steady yourself, you, you stand up straighter, um, hold on to your belt, uh, grab the hilt of your sword. You, you say it one more time, and as you do say it one more time, this creature's eyes open. Mal takes a step back, surprised. Uh, both sages stand at attention. Leosin also just ready for if, if this creature's going to be doing anything. And in the strange language, the creature responds to you. <laughs> With the knowledge that you have of being on a different plane of existence, it makes sense that he would speak in such a weird way. The translating sage, well, he says that um, he was avenging his tribe. Mal looks at the boys confused and turns back to the prisoner and says, What did we do to offend your tribe? And she puts her hands back on her 
her waist and tries to project that strength that she doesn't feel. Lance just gives her a nod and like a wink, like, oh yeah, you got this. You got it. <laughs> he says, not all of you, um, just you, actually. Just you. Okay. She looks at the sage, looks back at the prisoner. How did I offend you? This time, the prisoner starts to speak at length. And you hear, uh, and the translator is translating as he's speaking. He says that you have dishonored his tribe and that you've wielded power that you not know of. This power was not given to you. This power was one of his, not his directly, but one of his brothers, his sisters in arms. And as he continues, as he continues to translate, the gith gets more and more animated, not with his hands, just with his voice and just with his, uh, you can see some spittle coming out of his mouth, um, directed towards you, Mal. And that, they would kill you to bring honor back to their, their fallen comrades. And that once they would kill you and burn your corpse, they would pry from your dead hands what is rightfully theirs. Hearing this, I turn to the boys and say, I, I'm sorry, I need a, I need a minute. I'm going to... I'm going to go outside. If you guys need to talk to him, this sage, I'm sure will translate. I, I'll be back. And she'll leave the room. As you start to walk away, the prisoner just is screaming at you. And one of the sage, the sage who's not translating, is preparing his hands just in case, like even more so on the ready. And as you rush out of the room, uh, you're not there to hear the translation before you shut the door or get out of earshot. And to you, Lance and Fleeple, the translator turns to both of you with a concerned look on his face. He says, he says that they will not rest until they find her, until they take back what is theirs. I, I lean into Lance and I'm like, um, this, is, this is a little bit what I was talking about the other day. Um, about maybe being a little bit concerned about m- what Malamara is doing in the shadows, as it were. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really feeling that now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this could be an opportunity to get maybe some juicy character backstory information if we interrogate this. Are you, are you saying? Well, I, I, I might be saying. Are you, you're wanting to find out more about Malamara without her knowing? <laughs> you see, that's that's the part of me that is kind of worried because part, I feel like that maybe we should get it from her own mouth, but also here's an opportunity that's just right here. But there's some juicy bits here, yeah. Yes, I agree, I agree. I think we should do both. And I I turn to the, the sages and I say, um, when we brought this individual in, you, I would assume, search them. Um, do you have? Did they have anything on them, or or their weapons? Could I could I take a look at those? The one that's not the translating goes. Uh, yes, yes, please, uh, please. Uh, they, there wasn't much. There was just uh, this paper and this um, parchment um, with a note on it. They didn't. Well, they had weapons. They attacked us. Do you have? Them? Uh, this one had no weapons. This was the punchy, punchy guy. Gotcha. This is the monk, that's the right. monk, that's right. punchy the monk. guy. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And the paper, the paper, because uh, we had looked at it, is it, it's not written. It's written in their language, right? Correct. And um, the translation of this just simply said, "We have failed. Send more." Hmm. Hmm. That's. Hmm. That. That's. Uh, I don't like the sound of that. But we got the message. It wasn't delivered. It was apparently a terrible mail delivery service. So we have it. So, uh, did we just commit, like, a federal offense by looking at mail that was not sent? I don't sent? think so. I mean, they, they live in another world entirely. I don't know if we're subjugated to their laws, necessarily. Yes. I mean, it's, well, it's if you about... did, I, I, 
I have a greater felony because I translated it. That's so. true. That's true. Oh, that's, that's very true. Yes. And they're librarians, so they <laughs> yes, should know. Exactly. I mean, yes. Yes, it's all about jurisdiction when you come down to it. Yeah, I don't think they have much jurisdiction here. At the very least, we're all in it together now. So we all have to we have to get our stories straight. Exactly. I mean, I wouldn't want people reading my mail, but I mean, but I mean, I think if we're someone attacked me here. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. I I pause as I'm getting ready to like cut my hand open for a blood pact and I'm like, "Oh, no." <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm really going to take this back to the grave. We will never speak of what happened here. I'm sure we have a few demons in this library that we can bring in and uh, and, and, and seal this. All for male, male yeah, forgery. Male fraud. We are a male fraud business now. <laughs> oh, boy. I'll lean over to Filippo and be like, So, I have a hunch, but I need to talk to Mal about it. I'm not sure about what else to talk to him about. Seemed like he was very interested in talking to Malamara and not us. Um, I do, I, and I like lean closer. I kind of want to kill him because he's like, I'm going to find you. And I feel like that's a pretty substantial threat. And we're with Malamara. I don't want that following us. But I don't know if they'll let us kill him. Well, I mean, you're you're usually pretty good about just straight up asking people if they're all right if we kill people. So That's true. That's very true. Could we kill him? <laughs> As you ask this and glance over, the gith has actually closed their eyes again and has gone back into their meditative state. It's going to be super easy. <laughs> and the translator goes, I, um, no. Well, that's a little rude. Okay. You know, I just... Well, we, we're going to be able to study them. I mean, I do know, I mean... I don't want to spill any secrets about mail fraud or anything. <laughs> yeah, well, I've committed mail fraud tons of times. Oh, okay. Well. We got a demon in here. He'll take care of it. We're trying to blackmail this guy over mail fraud so that we can commit murder. <laughs> let us kill. Let us kill this thing, or else we'll tell everyone you read. The escalation is really high. It's real, it's real into it. Oh, boy. That's what people came to this podcast to hear. Yeah, no, we, we, we're gonna we're gonna study him. It's been a while since we've had a, a live gith that um, has come into custody, and so there's a ample opportunity here. So we're gonna keep him alive. We're gonna study him, and plus, we're gonna chain him up here so he can't chase after you and speak with his kind. Okay, I'm ju- I'm just saying, if somehow he gets out and he makes his way back to us, I'm coming back here having a strongly, strongly worded talk with your supervisor. And he, like, lifts his hands up and he goes, well, I've got your mail fraud, so... Well. Well, what I'm just saying is we brought a beholder back to be studied and we were offered some compensation for it, so what are we going to get in return for giving you this gift to study? Oh, right, no, absolutely. What are your names here? Paul. Jenk. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jenk and uh, Paul Walker, I'm assuming. Um, Yeah, any sort of academics uh, or books that um, are written, you will be co-creators of that academic material. Like a tribute? Like in the front? Like this is for... Yeah, yeah. You'll be like... It'll be like, uh, yeah, head researcher, like... um, um, just making up names here, like Elminster and you know, a thing, uh, other people, and then like, and then also Jank and Paul Walker. It's a pretty good and deal. Eileen and I'm like, listen, Bob, I'm trying to commit extortion here. Can you tell us who can get us some actual good cash for this? Well, Marisa just going to take a while, and and Leo's in. <laughs> Leosin's just like, um, I'm just gonna black out these five minutes. Best we all do. <laughs> yes, you're in on this now too, bud. You're, you, you knew about the mail fraud and didn't do anything you're about it. You're an accessory to mail fraud. You did. That's true. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's true. Uh, we, we'll just be leaving now, and he tries to gently and politely usher you from the room and shuts the door behind. So as we're leaving, I'm like, I don't. I think you and, and Madamara are, are better at the good constable, bad constable thing. I don't think I'm very good at that. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I I was a pretty bad constable because I was trying to commit crime, and that's not what a good constable would do. And I wasn't doing the good. I should have. I should have. That's right. That was my fault. My fault. I'm sorry. I should have been the good constable. You should have been the bad one. It's, I mean, it's in the name. You know, let's just let's just make that kind of the general rule moving forward. If it's me in combination with either of you, I'll be the bad constable. No wait, no wait. I was the no. You good, were the good one with Mao. I was. I was the, the good, good constable. Mao was a very Mal. bad constable. Mao was trying to bribe them. I argue that she was the good. <laughs> <laughs> While this argument is occurring, we swipe to Malamara, who has found herself walking the halls, breathing, hyperventilating, grabbing onto some of the walls. Um, as she passes a corner, you catch yourself, Mal. What else are you doing? She finds a side room that seems empty, maybe uh, a study room or some very similar to the room that we'd kind of just come from. An isolated room with a door, nobody else inside, just a small study room. And you can find that uh, very similar to the uh, the room where you were given the book and you read and you entered Wisteria Vale. There is one where it's, it's a little deeper, but it's all well lit, so you can see it all completely. And uh, you, can go, you go into this room yourself. So I enter the room... Close the door soundly behind me, making sure that it's fully closed. Turning back to the rest of the room, looking up, I look up at the ceiling and just start shouting for my patron. I start shouting his name. I start shouting, Ertu, where are you? I need, you said to speak to you. Where are you? Come to me now. Ertu. And she just starts, she takes out her blade and starts slashing at the walls. And as the blade connects with the, the stones, it starts sparking and sparking fire, trying to um, attract this patron to her. Malamara, go ahead and roll me. Hmm. I want you to make a charisma check, but with advantage, just what type of charisma check here? So we're gonna use an optional rule here that was discussed long time ago in one of our Crunch Squad episodes, but I really like it. I'm gonna have you roll a persuasion check, but a strength-based persuasion check. So, how this works, listeners. One, if Malamara is proficient with persuasion, she gets to add her proficiencies. But because it's strength-based, normally skills use a particular attribute, so strength, dexterity, and normally charisma is persuasion. So instead of using her charisma modifier, she's gonna use her strength modifier and if she was proficient, she can be. She can add that proficiency on top of that. You are not proficient with persuasion, though, are you, Malamara? Correct. So it's just my roll plus my strength modifier. Correct. With advantage, I got a 16. Ooh. As you're slashing into this wall, the wrappings are starting to come undone a little bit, and the edge of the sword is peeking out from some of these wrappings. You're you're not being careful, it's hasty, it's rage. You're just smacking into the wall and you see some cuts forming on the stone and you're slash, 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 fire sparking into the air and on one particular strong when you come down to the screen and before it hits the wall, a hand grabs the sharp end of the blade and just grips onto it. This hand, well, it's not a hand, it's a claw and there's fur covering it. And there's a cloak that covers most of his body, as you know. But this claw is bleeding from the sword digging into its skin, but he just squeezes it tighter as he throws the blade back at you, throwing you to the other side of the room. As you gather yourself, you stand up, you look at him. He stands before you. I believe you wanted to speak, Malamara. I believe I'm doing a better job at listening. So, what would you like to speak about? After being thrown against the back wall, I stand up and hold the blade actually between us defensively. For flavor, I guess this doesn't really matter, but I'm going to rage. I'm letting that, that anger and power flow through her, facing down this Balor demon in front of her that she's seen only a handful of times. What is going on? 
What is going on with that creature? I know you know what's going on, and I know you know what creature I'm talking about. What is going on? There's silence from Air 2. But after a few moments of silence, as he lets it hang in the air, as you're breathing and raging, he says, I'm sure you're well aware of what that creature is. And now you know why they're here. And yes, it's for that little trinket I gave you. You see, I wanted you to be strong, Malamara. I wanted you to be able to cut down any of your enemies. That is what you wanted, wasn't it? To be able to cut down those that stood against you or those that had destroyed your family. As he gestures towards the sword between you with his head and with his clawed, bleeding hand, blood dripping on the floor, and as it hits the stone, it hisses in the air, burning. And you can smell it in your nostrils as it is a very sulfuric smell. That is what I gave you. And I knew you'd be strong enough to deal with those that would be coming and look at you. You did. You did that almost on your own. You haven't even called upon me. As he lifts his claw. For when you needed more strength, you've been relying on that rage, which is exactly... As he smiles, his teeth show. What I saw in you is exactly what your grandparents feared, and they didn't understand the strength that could come from it. As Ertu is speaking, the rage that she has initiated builds higher and higher, and that fire inside just burning so deep, the knuckles on her hand that's gripping the blade are starting to turn white from from the sheer pressure of, of holding the sword. And she looks, she examines the blade that she's gotten to know over the past few months. She's owned it, and she looks up at him dangerously. You knew they would come for this? I covered my tracks pretty well when I took care of that roaming band of gith. There was always a possibility, but I was sure that they could never trace it back to you. But now that they have, it looks like we have our work cut out for us, doesn't it? Mal takes a moment, staring at the blade again, wanting desperately to release it. She wants to let it go. She wants to throw it in his face. She wants to do so many different things. One idea grips her mind, and that's all that she can see, and that's all that she can think about. And without another word to air to, she bolts from the room with the sword in her hand as she's running down the hallways, just letting it carve into the stone. And she runs fully back to the room holding the gith. Bursts past Leeple and Lance as they're arguing about whatever asinine thing that they are arguing about this time. Well, see, being a constable is... <laughs> and you burst around the corner. Lance and Fleeple, you... Just as Mal described, it's so fast, so quick. Her now taking dash as a bonus action as well, to where she has this inhuman speed that she you haven't seen in her before. Past Leosin, and you go into the room, is that right, Mal? Yeah, I burst into the room, and as I was running down the hallway, I was chanting the spell Hex. I was casting Hex, so that black, inky entity comes up behind me. And I burst through the room, ignoring Sages, ignoring Leosin, ignoring Fleeple and Lance, and using that rage, just attacks that gith with its eyes closed and rams that sword as far into his chest as she can, using all of her rage, all of her hex, and all that strength to just try and take down this gith. All right. I'm going to follow her into the room, obviously seeing this craziness that she's appearing and just like obviously notch my bow again getting ready for anything to back her up i'm gonna need we're not gonna get into a full battle but i do need initiative to be rolled here just so we can get a certain order of operations 
That's a 16 for me. It's a 16 for me as well. 11 for Fleeple. Leosin, seeing what you're doing, Mal goes, Malamara, Mal, what are you doing? Mal, please, just taken aback, being pushed out, not being able to react, not knowing what to do, the door's opening. He has no reason to attack and stop you, but going to spend his turn asking you, probing you, seeing you be hostile, he's actually going to roll a persuasion check. It's Malamara, please! No! Don't do this! Not inside the walls, Mal, please! But you only rolled a seven, and you are too blinded with rage, Malamara, to hear past him. Between Lance and Mal, I'm gonna let Mal act first. Despite Lance having the higher decks, Mal is on a mission, and she has the higher drive currently. Could I... Nothing I'm gonna do is actually gonna stop Mal. The only thing I wanted to do is actually pull out my blades and get between her and the sages. That's it. So they can't come out. Oh, okay. Sounds good. So working in conjunction with each other, Lance, you run between her and one of the sages, the translator or the one who initially did mail fraud? (laughs) Whichever one is closer to the prisoner. So the one who probably has more access to getting at Mal. Great. We'll do the not translator one, the one that initially told you to to holster your bow or to bring your bow down and you're just standing there defensively you want to hold an action yeah i will hold an action i'm going to hold attacking this individual if they attack malamara great and mal you rushing up to the gith roll an attack with advantage this person is considered incapacitated i'm going to actually use my inspiration dice to see if I can get a natural 20 just because I want to see if I can. All right. Thank you for remembering you have inspiration. 19. Oh, so close. <sighs> so close. You don't crit on a 19? No. But it is a total 23. Because they are fully incapacitated, I the damage is going to be double here. And the hex is on this individual, correct? Mm-hmm. It sure is. And I apologize, the damage is double because this person is actually considered unconscious. Oh my gosh. 28 points of damage. Malamara, as you take the blade and sink it directly into the chest of this gith, their eyes don't open immediately. But as you have driven it into their chest, you feel something through the sword. And as you, even through your rage, as you open your eyes and become more aware of this individual, exactly how you were connecting with them earlier, which allowed them, pulled them from this trance, pulled them from wherever they were, you see something that you didn't see previously. Directly from their chest is a long string of silver, or at least there was because you have stabbed directly into the spot where this silver string had been drawn from their chest out of this room through a wall. As your eyes open up to this image, the sword has severed this string and the strings is floating away. And as the string floats away from this room, without opening their eyes, the gith falls to the ground and as you stand there breathing heaving the sages not able to act quick enough and as you can't hear anything around you leoson running rushing up to you nothing that he can do but he pulls you you don't hear anybody around you as you stare down at the body and you see the blood drip from your sword onto the body of the gith the hint of silver peeking out from underneath the bandages. That is where we're going to end tonight's episode. That's what we think of your royalties. <laughs> <laughs> 
Man, all of, so much of the stuff that Ned knows that Fleeple does not know. Oh man, oh man, oh man. It's been a lot of that happening, hasn't there? (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Oh, what fun. That took a real fun direction there. A lot of unexpected turns for me that was real exciting to keep me on my toes there. And Mal, well done. I'm actually going to give you back an inspiration die, Mal Mara, for just very fun, wonderful RP and for the revelation of some of your backstory and your relationship with your patron. Well done. (sighs) Well. I want it to be natural 20 so bad. Oh, I know, a 19. That would have been totally epic. Well, with this nice, light, and very not lore-heavy episode, I think, uh, I think, uh... <laughs> so when I are we going we'll to the to see... store to spend our gold? <laughs> Prepare real quick for all the stuff we want to do before we leave Candlekeep, because we are never getting allowed back. <laughs> <laughs> As we're being escorted out, just like making payments, and <laughs> can we stop by the well, shop? We're going to the gift shop. <laughs> Got the, the gift shop on our way out. Well, this night, nice, light, very uh, calm, peaceful episode. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this week's episode of iCast Fireball. We hope you've enjoyed listening and learning as much about Malamara's backstory as we all have here around the table. Uh, I know Ned and Jacob were frantically jotting down notes when Mal and I were discussing the relationship between her and her patron. Jacob's showing up two pages worth of notes that he's got from tonight's episode. Uh, We just really appreciate you listeners joining us for this wonderful ride that we've got going on here. Wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. It helps boost our ratings, gets us into other people's recommended feeds, but mostly it just lets us know that you like what we're doing and uh, that really uh, not only puts a smile on our face, but it gives us a direction to go with our podcast as well. So please leave us a review. If you'd like to leave something a little bit longer than a review, you can shoot us an email over at iCastFireball2020 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and we're hoping to get the word out there as always and set this podcast on fire. Now, to get the most recent up-to-date content from all of us here, follow us on Instagram and Twitter using the handle iCastFireball20. There you can get sneak peeks of upcoming episodes. Um, We shout people out on Instagram a lot, too, that tag us in some of their posts. And maybe some insight into Malamar's relationship with her patron or my approach to her patron as the dungeon master. But regardless, you'll get behind-the-scenes shots of us making this incredibly fun world. As always, we've got our sister podcast, Improv Tabletop, where Ned takes a turn as the GM and runs through many one-month adventures, either using the Fate Accelerated system or the Avatar Legends system as well. Uh, They have an ongoing campaign over there, which is just a load of fun. If you haven't looked them up, that tabletop system is so incredible. I would highly recommend it. Lastly, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with all your friends and fellow wacky adventurers. But until next time, I'm Thomas, your DM, and around the table we have... Malamara, Lance Thalen, and Fleeple. Let's keep that fire going, everybody, and we'll see you next time.